Welcome back to DC Cinematic Minute, the daily podcast in which we analyze Zack Snyder's Justice League by each individual minute. My name is Mark. You can find me on all social media at Mark Meadows. And my name is Nathan. You can find me on all social media at NoClutchNate. And my name is Rebecca Johnson. I'm one of the co-hosts of a podcast called Supergirl Radio, where we talk about the CW Supergirl, uh, but all things Cars or else. So we talk about the comics. We talk about the Flash movie. Uh, anything that has to do with Supergirl, we talk about it. And uh, I also have a YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash duckmilkprod, where I talk about Zack Snyder films. I uh, did a big series on Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, where I went through the Rotten Tomatoes top critics and read them read their reviews verbatim and analyzed them. So if you're into that, uh, it was quite uh, eye-opening for me. So if you're into that, it's a pretty big series that I did. Probably took me over a year, I think, to do it. Uh, mostly because I procrastinated a couple of weeks. But uh, but it was a really fun series, and uh, I hope to do uh, some more of that in the future. <laughs> That sounds uh, uh, incredible. A um, lot, lot, <laughs> lot of legwork, Rebecca. You're doing, you're doing the uh, the work of of who, who we want to actually be doing the work. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- thank you for coming back on. <laughs> well, I've always thought that the uh, the the critics, you know, everybody points to the Rotten Tomatoes top critics <laughs> score. You know, they talk they talk about that percentage number, yeah. but they don't actually read what those reviews <laughs> actually talk about. So that's part of the point of doing that. And I'm just uh, very excited to be back with you guys. It's been a, a while now, um, so I'm very honored that you brought me on for this uh, set of minutes because these are some pretty. Uh, pretty big moments in uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. They are. They really are. And uh, we're no strangers to the the, the side of procrastination, so we understand <laughs> your struggle. <Yeah. laughs> we yeah. did take a break, yes, of course. I, I you know, I was going to have so many questions. First of all, I, I, of course, I, I do want to say it's, it's incredible to have you back on the show. It's incredible to be doing Zack Snyder's Justice League uh, minute by minute again, and for Nathan and I to be doing this podcast again, for sure. Um, but now I have to go and ask you this question immediately. You said it was fun to do these re- these reviews of of these Rotten Tomato reviews. Uh, was it indeed fun, or was it you know, what's the definition of fun here? Because to me, I'd, um, we, you know, when we did Batman v uh, Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, it was like um, it takes a toll on you, doesn't it, to to go through such negativity and and probably like people without um, the right information. Like, yeah. is it truly? Fun ignorance the- it's it's a big wall of ignorance i would i would imagine <laughs> it is it is that's actually something that i talked about quite a bit on my live stream so I, I would go live on sunday nights and some people would come in and hang out with me in the chat and, and share their thoughts and that was a, one of the one of the things that i would bring up is that a lot of the re- reviews would talk about oh batman v superman dawn of justice is not fun and i would be like well what's your definition of fun i thought yeah. it was fun um so that's uh, something that comes up quite a bit but uh one of the things I really got out of it that I thought was surprising to me, and I guess it shouldn't have been, but there were a lot of regulars who would come into the live chat to, to share their thoughts about it. And uh, I've seen Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, I don't know how many times. I stopped counting a long time ago. And there were things that they would bring up in the chat that I was like, I've never thought about it that way. That actually makes sense. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. And so I, uh, we built up a little bit of a community around those those terrible reviews. So it was fun to actually get together with some other people and just talk about film, talk about film analysis, and talk about how we think and and uh, review movies. What you know, I mean, that's an art form. And so how do mm-hmm. how do we go about talking about these things? 
in a way that's beneficial. And I talked a lot about meaning. How do we find meaning in these things? Uh, what does it mean for you versus what it means for me? Uh, so I think that's that's one of the, th the big things I got out of that was just being able to share that film. A lot of times when I watch Batman v Superman, I'm doing it by myself because nobody else mm -hmm. <laughs> will want to watch it with me for the you know the 500th time yep. so um so it's uh it's fun to actually uh, go back and engage with that film and really talk about what it means and so that that was a lot of fun for me even though the reviews were quite terrible and i'm sure i lost iq points <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's a lot of work um but i think the key word is uh fun yes in that all uh honestly donor justice is one of my favorite stories and movies uh ever um, analyzing and going through that is always a blast. Uh, even watching it 501 times is even <laughs> incredible. Um, uh, you're right, though. Um, honestly, I feel like every time I try to just put that movie on, I get ideas and thoughts that I have not thought about before. And we did it minute by minute. And we had so, the most ample amount of time to think <laughs> of these thoughts. And the fact that me, I'm still like thinking about new ideas and just new you know strings that could branch off and just these different types of storytelling elements that are incorporated into that film um i think it's really incredible um mark and i talked about it a lot where you know like it or not that movie still is a topic of conversation and mm -hmm. it is for a reason you know if you're saying that it's the bad reviews people are still writing bad reviews on it like today, you know, like that's a thing. Yeah. People are still watching it and going, oh, and having feelings and putting those feelings out there and wanting to discuss them, you know, most of the time. If not, they're just, you know, crapping on it. It's like, okay, pump the brakes, just read a book or something, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it was really a great journey. I'm sure you probably uncovered so many more just gold mine things out of that movie and when you analyze those two characters and the dichotomy between them in that specific movie, it really is just awesome. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to go through. And it reminds me uh, never to watch, if I want to seriously uh, look at a, a film or review something, watching it once and then being done with it is not the way to go. Exactly. I think that's, I think that's what happened with a lot of those reviews. Uh, those reviewers, you know, it's their job. They do it all the time. So they're like, whatever, I got to watch this movie and write a review. And so they'll write this crappy review and then they just push it out the door. And who cares if it's accurate? Who cares if it makes any sense? It doesn't matter. They just have to publish something. So they don't care what it means, what it if, if they're even right about what they're writing about. So um, I, I've it's helped me to be a better critic, a better reviewer of things, a better podcaster, because I when I review something, I watch it at least twice so that I'm giving it a, a really good effort. And um, and I, I actually take it seriously. I actually go through and analyze it and see if there's anything in there that I can pick up on. And I don't just trash something out, even if it's terrible, even if I hated it. I try to take it seriously. I try not to be like those critics because I don't. To be honest, I don't think they do a very good job, and I think they actually make films worse. Oh, yeah. Beca because those bad reviews for Batman v Superman are what directly caused the 2017 version of Justice League. All the things in the... <laughs> All the things in the reviews are like, oh, we wish it was funnier. And a lot of them mentioned Joss Whedon. Oh, Joss Whedon would do this better. And it's like everything they talked about is why we got 2017's Justice League. And so the correlation between the uh, reviewers and the product 
means that if you have bad reviews, you're going to get bad movies. And so I'm always of the opinion that we need better reviews. We need better critics. We need better film analysis so that we can challenge these filmmakers to make better art. And so that's why I'm really appreciative of you guys because you take it seriously and you you want to uh, dig into what the movies are about. And I think that makes for excellent analysis. Oh, we appreciate yeah. that. Absolutely. And, and I think it's it's that conversation. Like it needs to be more of a conversation when we talk about these movies. And, you know, I, I've, I've, I've gotten tired of, um, people rating things in like a quantitative way where, you know, five stars or 10 out of 10, like a, a, B, C, like the way people grade movies as well is, is, is too imperialistic for, uh, like, like this being a work of art, right. Or Batman V Superman being a work of art. And we've had so many conversations with people in, in real life and, and through podcasting where the way people, um, how they interpret a film, whether they like it or not, or what they didn't like about it. It's so much more reasonable than the way people put reviews out. And so like, sometimes I'm like, there are people I agree with who criticize Batman V Superman, but it's, it's in the reality of like the conversation that it's like, it's more acceptable. It's like, yeah, maybe, you know, some of it was ill-advised, but that's like, it's so much better that you say it that way than the way they post things on on Rotten Tomatoes, where they're just screaming something <laughs> so um, volatile, yeah, and that's just like their statement forever. And um, yeah, it's it's just it's just a work of art. Like you can have your preferences. You can you can be like, you know, Zack Snyder is a great director, but not my preference for directing these superheroes. And I would like rather see it done this way. But there's still great movies. There's just not my preference, and that that kind of conversation is something we've always started to have on the show. And we invite people who don't like the movies to talk about why they don't like it. And I I much rather that conversation of talking about it that way than um, than some of these reviews are because they're just they're just they just come out as uh, ignorant, and then sometimes yeah. they just come out as toxic towards the people who make the movies and it just, it's just not, not a good look. So, um, but yes, thank you for, for joining us today. It's, it's great to talk about, you you mentioned the 2017 version of justice league, a product of the fallout of Batman V Superman Dawn of justice. And today we're talking about minute 131 of Zack Snyder's justice league, which is going to start with the appearance of dark side. Um, of course, we've seen Uxas in the, in the in the Age of Heroes in the um, kind of like the story that Diana was telling Bruce earlier in the film. So we did see Darkseid technically earlier in the film, but this is the first true moment of Darkseid within the story, like present at the moment. And this is something that is like it's so flagrant that it's not in the 2017 version that. I understand two hour, you know, they wanted that two hour window of a movie, which is fine. But this is, I feel like there was room for this at least, you know, like this moment here where Darkseid appears before Steppenwolf and they're talking about, uh, you know, the unity, whatever. Um, however, they wanted to spin that, that 2000, 2017 version. I feel like it's such a missed opportunity to not include this and, and the decision not to raises more questions. Like 
Like, why not? Um, well, I can answer that very easily, Mark. <laughs> why not? Because audiences are stupid, and this this is a 2017 superhero action movie with the the big bad main villain showing up within the first 10 minutes of the film. I think that's right. Uh, in that version, it's um, cool skirt-wearing Steppenwolf. And that's that's great, right? He's a big honking guy. He's got a crazy axe, and he's, and he's chopping things. Crazy, right? Um, but hang on. What if we introduce another bad guy? Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to confuse people. Don't do that. We already have this big honking alien guy. He's already the monster. That's it. We're good. And they got the parademons. He's got his army and his foot soldiers. Done. Just call it a day. Don't even need to waste any more time on anything. We're good. That's the answer, Mark. Yeah, I also uh, have been thinking about this, too. And I, I wonder sometimes, because it seemed like they wanted to kill the the Snyderverse at some point, because uh, they were not happy with what happened with Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. And they'd sort of, from what I understand, they, they had already greenlit Justice League with Zack Snyder attached, so they really couldn't get out of it, I guess. Yeah. And um, so I sometimes wonder if they were intentionally trying to make 2017 bad. Like, I was wondering if, like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, because if, if you put Darkseid in a DC film, fans are going to go nuts over it, and they're going to want to see the continuation of that story. That's so, it. So I wonder <laughs> if they intentionally took Darkseid out so that nobody would want to see a continuation and they could shut it down. Uh, so that's my speculation. I, I believe that. I really do. Um it, it, it is very apparent that they wanted to etch a sketch uh, this <laughs> this whole storyline and um, you know they're 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 flawed heroes that they were going with and it's like well hang on anyway so yeah I think they were trying to just like erase uh, all uh, backtracking to to whatever Chris Terrio and Zack Snyder were wanting to do with this storyline um, and yeah it's I, I really do think um, it got to a point where they were like, no, it's too much. It's going to confuse people. It's going to run too long. We don't need this. We just need action and Superman flying in and throwing a punch and call it a day. Um, so, everybody got paid already. Like, let's go. We got to get this done. And and I, I would love to ask this for the the actor for Darkseid, which is Ray Porter. Um, for those of you who don't know, Ray Porter is the voice of Darkseid here. And would love to ask Ray, uh, you know, like, w was Darkseid, was, was Ray Porter involved in that 2017 film or it was just like post, you know, Zack Snyder, like working on, on his, his version after the release? Because I wonder if, you know, was Ray Porter at the premiere? Does, did Ray Porter, was he ever involved with that 2017 version? And, you know, it, it would be something to, to be involved with the making of that film and um and and to uh because and the reason i ask this is because there is a photo that circulates of uh peter guinness and ray porter and kieran hines together and kieran hines was involved with with motion performance for steppenwolf so ray porter and peter guinness doing the sod and dark side in in kind of like the cyborg pajamas <laughs> and that would mean he was involved in, in the making of the movie itself, not just coming in to do ADR for the Snyder cut. So 
and and I would love to ask him this, but it's like, were you, did you expect to be in the movie to, in 2017? Was it just like, a, you know, like all of a sudden a, a big surprise that you're not in it or, you know, the dark side's not in it. So I don't know if people who worked on the movie and then saw the, the final premiere in 2017, were they just like hit over the head with like, oh, yeah, all the stuff that you worked on is just not in that movie. So, yeah. Uh, and this is also like I'm. I assume you know I'm not in the industry. I assume when you uh, have uh, people that work closely in industry like that and and are familiar with you know the ins and outs of of working on a set and and showing up for wardrobe and 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 not showing up and all that stuff and you know uh, parts getting cut, lines getting cut, all that stuff. So I'm sure it's very normal. Um, however. Mm-hmm. I do think that it still comes as a shock, um, especially for the people that are involved. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, I imagine they do, you know, get a paycheck and they go, you know, they, they, they did their work. They got it. It's like, okay, good. I, I did my job. Uh, day's done. Now I'm over. Uh, movie premiere. Oh, all that stuff just isn't in it. Okay. I guess they just cut it out. That's fine. You know, I still was there. I still did the work. So I don't think anything really gets diminished personally from them. Maybe, you know, it's integrity. Yeah. Maybe it's an integrity thing. Maybe it is like an inclusion thing and psychological. I'm sure it probably uh, hurts and it is a bummer. Um, I mean, I can imagine being cut from something that I worked on, especially like a project and people, uh, get no mention of it you know um that's probably really hurtful um but i'm inclined to believe that he was on set and a part of filming um and it was just like maybe maybe a couple days maybe a week you know these things go pretty fast um and that was kind of it and then just kind of play the waiting game and then come to premiere and it's like oh by the way we had you know personnel change so the stuff that you shot we took out and it's like ah i guess yeah. so yeah, yeah the wild the wild thing about that 2017 uh justice league is that it's not even just like one section that got fully removed it was multiple people yeah. who had gotten fully removed so yeah uh yeah and, and it's, it wasn't just like one scene or one right you know, shot or something it was like whole storyline so right yeah, I can't imagine being one of those actors. I, I'm I'm glad that they got redemption with Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah, yeah, and 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 to mention it now that I, you know, you you just recently saw this film in Arizona, correct? Like uh, back in April. Oh, uh, that was in uh, Burbank, California. It was the uh, I forget what that place is called. But it was this big AMC IMAX. And uh, yeah, that was uh, the full circle event, uh, SnyderCon yeah, uh, yeah. 2023. Um, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, 200 people got to go in and see it. Uh, this was the first time that people had seen it in IMAX in color. It had been screened in IMAX in the black and white, uh, Justice's Gray version. But this was the first time uh, you saw it in color. So that that was a pretty pretty amazing experience. Was it cool? Yeah, well, because it, it was interesting because I was like, I don't know, like I kind of get, you know, why it was sort of the four by three aspect. You yeah. know, I, I get why he's mm-hmm. um, like what he's aiming to do. And then when you go in and see it, there, there was one shot that still kind of just sticks with me. There's a there's a scene of Steppenwolf 
a shot of Steppenwolf, and he looked, it was just like a close-up of maybe, you know, shoulders up. He looked ginormous on the yeah. screen. It was crazy. Uh, and there, I mean, there was cool stuff like the, the Iceland stuff where Bruce goes to find Arthur at the, the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. That stuff looked incredible on IMAX. But that shot, there was one shot of just the head of Steppenwolf that I was just like, oh my gosh, I totally get why he's doing this. They looked larger than life. It was really pretty incredible. Wow, wow. And and to see it with the uh, some of the major casting crew that worked on it as well, it's just... That that was wild because we we kind of already figured that Ray Fisher was going to be there because some fans had gotten a picture with him and he was near the theater. So we're like, well, he's probably going to be here. And Ray Porter, we were, figured he would probably be there too because they were big proponents of the Snyder Cut. Then we go into uh, get seated and we watch the film. And then afterward, there was a Q&A. And you can probably find this online, but nobody had any idea that Ben Affleck was going to be there. Ooh. And so Ray Porter's like doing the moderating for the the panel and he says something about... And this next uh, panelist is a writer, producer, director. And when he said director, everybody flipped flipped out because we all knew who he was talking about. Um, so that was a big surprise. So I really appreciated that they made that effort and um, uh, and brought some of those people in. I mean, Ben Affleck showing he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to come. Yeah. So the fact that he did meant, meant a lot to everybody. That's what that's definitely what the energy felt like. Um, cause I had seen some clips and I, I was definitely listening to the Q and a was important to me. I remember like not being able to go cause I just came back from vacation. Um, and I was just like, Oh, I, I just hope that they record the Q and a or live stream it or something. I could watch it later, um, from, from home. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's the feeling that I got that I received was that those people love to be there. They, they, they came to support, you know, Zack Snyder. And the full circle event, the, the the charity and all that, and and that's what was that's what stuck around to me is like like you said like they didn't have to be there but they chose to be there and continue to be friends and supportive and even with Rebel Moon and Army of the Dead you always hear like people enjoy working with Zack Snyder and and Deborah Snyder and and it's like seeing that they're like there's like a real uh bond uh, yeah real bond real relationship camaraderie but like friendship and family like there's like there's like this yeah but it feels (laughs) like family almost to them like like they do still hang out and talk to each other so um definitely you know so happy for you that you got to go and do that you know i would love for a chance to go see that movie in imax um but yeah this this moment here and just thinking about it, dark side and, and IMAX and and this moment here, it's it's absolutely incredible. Um, you you mentioned Steppenwolf because you saw it in IMAX. Um, <laughs> we've been asking everyone your thoughts on on this Steppenwolf in this movie, not not the previous one. You can talk about that one if you want, but uh, oh my gosh, this Steppenwolf <laughs> is a huge upgrade. I mean, just night and day. Uh, he looks scarier. He's more threatening. The CGI on him is incredible. Uh, I don't yes. know if they had to finish a lot of him. Uh, in I, I, I would guess that some of the effects when they had to, you know, release <laughs> release the Snyder Cut, they probably had to do a little bit of finishing touches on him. But just the way, especially in in this first minute, minute one thirty one, he the way he moves and the light changes on his like chain link armor type uh, stuff on his skin on top of his skin. Just the way they pay attention to the movements and the lighting and everything. 
uh, I just I just think that is um, something that I don't normally pay attention to. A lot of CGI, I'm like, okay, as long as it makes sense and it fits the story, that's great. But this, I thought, was really impressive, the way that they managed to make it realistic and make it fit the the location where he was. I thought that was pretty impressive. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So that the you know the Snyder Cut was released after the um, the Man of Steel live stream on on Vero in yep. May of 2020. It was May 20th, 2020, and then the movie comes out April, April right? No, uh, March, March, 2020. March 2021. Yeah, really, just under a year, and the quality of the visual effects for Steppenwolf and and, and a lot of the visual effects for this movie are absolutely incredible and stunning and and then you, you think about it because there was an article that came out you know um running up to the release of this movie that the studio that was doing the vfx was doing it and so it is kind of a question like was this being worked on before and you're just announcing it or you are you're working on it now after you've announced it because the quality and the visual effects for Steppenwolf and some of the other visual effects that we have in this movie, they seem very well done in such a short amount of time. And then we look at some of the other comic book movies that we have today, and it seems like they've had a lot of time and they end up looking a lot cheaper. And like, it, it, there's something about it that doesn't make sense where this movie looks so good and it looks like it was... Um, that, that maybe since 2017 they've been working on it because that the quality is, is so impressive um but it's i i have no idea how long they had to replace the steppenwolf model that was in 2017 replace it with this one you know do things like light refraction on the armor and then look at looking at this kind of apocalyptic liquid geo uh dark side and all, all everything that goes into that right so there's so much impressive visual effects work in this movie that i just part of me can't believe that it was done in that in that final year before release so it's just it's just always impressive to see the steppenwolf and the way that it moves and the way that it carries itself around um it, it's it's become like one of my favorites because um it, even doomsday in in dawn of justice uh I, it's like one of my favorite parts because that doomsday looks so well done and the visual effects and, and like the helicopter lighting and everything that, that happens with that doomsday is so well done. Uh, and then we look at the Steppenwolf and, and I think like there's no way they had only, you know, 10 months to get this thing done right. But it's mm. it's incredible. My guess is the difference from this film to a lot of other films is the filmmaker. I read a, a Reddit thread, so who knows how true this is. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it was from one of the uh, the special, or the, I guess the visual effects uh, guys who uh, I think worked on Justice League. Uh, but he had worked with Zack Snyder before, and he said that Zack Snyder would come to their offices and talk to them and like, you know, uh, envision the whole movie in front of them and really work closely with them. And, and the guy, the Reddit guy was like, most directors don't do that. They just kind of tell us what's happening and then they leave and then we never see them again. And so I think he's pretty hands-on uh, with the the team that does this. And I think that makes a big difference because he, he seems to really care about those details. So that's my guess. I don't know if that's true, but that's that's what I would guess. Yeah, and it, it would make a lot of sense because he's such a visionary that it's like you would want the visual effects to be done correct if you're trying to get what you, what's in your brain onto the, onto the picture. So... 
Um, absolutely. It's the, it's the heart guiding the hand. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So, um, in, in this minute we have, uh, <laughs> dark side. Uh, he's, he's appeared before Steppenwolf. Steppenwolf bows to, to his nephew and, and, you know, the armor kind of cascades off of him. Um, we, we've been talking about this a little bit on the podcast, but it, it feels like, um, almost like a, We've talked about Hamlet. We've talked about Percival, but it was, Steppenwolf is kind of like our our anti Percival for the anti life equation. So he's he's uh, he's here. He's he's found uh, what we believe. We we have a working theory that it's the he's actually he's found the the life equation, and Darkseid is his his aim is to turn it into the anti life equation. It's been our working theory here lately. Um, but yeah, it's it's. Darkseid here is, is 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 here for his great prize and phenomenal voice acting by Ray Porter. I mean, we mentioned that Ray Porter is the voice actor and, and kind of the performance of Darkseid as well, physical performance. Um, but the voice work is is works so well that this this Darkseid uh, he looks the part. You know, we, people talk about comic book accuracy. I don't I don't really believe in that stuff, but he. The, the overall image of this dark side and the voice work, it matches so well um, that it's, it, it already is chilling to see this dark side. And it, it you know, it's one thing to, to throw a bone to fans and be like, Oh look, you know, dark sides in this movie. We're teasing justice league sequels, cinematic universe building. Um, I just think they just did a really good dark side. You know, I just think like, oh, just overall for a movie, it's like, Oh, you nailed it. Great job. Yeah. Like yeah. I love it. <laughs> um it it really is like a, a a great example of um what is the uh what's what's the uh <laughs> what's the correct way of saying the old political phrase of speak softly and carry a large stick. Um yeah. cuz that's like what dark side is doing. And uh no uh who who was that uh uh roosevelt was that Teddy roosevelt? yeah fdr it was one of, oh <laughs> it's FDR. fdr yeah yeah it was fdr yeah that, it was Del- i got the polio no, wait, it was no, him? no wait no it wasn't him no it was a theodore roosevelt i think it was theodore roosevelt the old rough rider himself anyway that yeah. guy um, sorry yeah it was, a, yeah <laughs> theodore yeah just a silly um thing anyway that phrase i think fits with dark side um a lot of the time, there are instances where dark side. It's like, okay, you're a little bit too involved. <laughs> you're not. You, you'd lose the menacing aspect when you start giving dark side a monologue. Um, he's not a monologue. Let Steppenwolf do the monologue, and we do, and it's great. Um, this version of dark side is immaculate, in my opinion. Um, it's terrifying, and not like a horror movie terrifying but in the sense where you're just like oh there's an even more powerful guy than him the idea of there's always a bigger fish really comes into play with this um Mm -hmm. and yeah we do get like the hamlet and the the real regal conversation here but that like uh elegancy kind of goes out the window when you hear the tone of dark side's voice and you hear and see this cgi disappointed monster and you're like <laughs> oh crap like uh 
yeah like he can he can end worlds like and he's just talking to me on the phone right now dang like this isn't (laughs) i should hang up or an arm is gonna come through the receiver and choke me out you know like that's really the feel that you get from this um i think ray porter like (laughs) really did a number on this dark side um his first line of dialogue of the O Steppenwolf like <laughs> hits so freaking hard. It is so hard to like not ignore this man's power, this being's power. Um, this is like one of the best. I I, I think this is one of the best. Um, uh, king to his subjects conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, very much so really like Richard the Third kind of feeling because there is mm. that that villainy behind him so much villainy um and cunning and like you know that they have like an entire set of plans that they have for this planet and it is horror you know it's death and destruction a hundred percent um so like this like just this conversation between these two alien monsters that have incredible power should be so humbling to the audience um and i really do think ray porter's like delivery here adds to that i think it really is the talking point of this minute yeah and and it's a performance for sure because ray porter in real life does not you know talk with that kind of right uh <laughs> sound or the uh the uh, like I think you mentioned before disappointment. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's there's a lot of that uh, feeling of superiority in his performance, and I, I really appreciate that. And I think even visually, um, I I think it's interesting that Steppenwolf to me it looks like he's shorter than Darkseid, which uh, you know throughout the entire film Steppenwolf looks like he's this big threatening guy. He's killed all these people, uh, but now there's visually somebody who is taller and scarier and more threatening than he is so visually just uh in in addition to the like paired up with the voice uh showing that he dark side seems to be so much bigger than he is i think uh really makes me feel like uh oh that that something something's up here that this guy is uh is not somebody to be trifled with exactly. yeah yeah and and even on paper i you know it was one of my first notes the oh steppenwolf it, it does have like that Shakespeare quality, like we talked mm, earlier. Yeah. That every time that Steppenwolf and Dasad interact with each other, even though it's it's clearly an exposition moment for the audience to recap what's been going on, but they present it in such a way that it's knight to hand of the king. And we've talked about how Shakespearean it is that the way that they they talk to each other, and the way that Darkseid talks to Steppenwolf in this minute still has that that gravity of of royalty of kind of like those medieval films that you know we've talked about Excalibur as well but that's what it feels like um Arthurian that that he he starts with oh Steppenwolf and if it is redemption you seek then find the mother box complete the conquering of this earth and then you know when it's been conquered then I will come for my great prize like it it is kind of like it has that um fantasy I don't want to say high fantasy maybe um I don't know what the correct term is, but it, it has like that Shakespearean, like um, Holy Grail. Like I'm, 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 the way that he speaks has that uh, that regality. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite impressive. 
Yeah, I really uh, uh, love that line of dialogue where he talks about redemption because redemption in the DCEU and the Snyderverse was a pretty big uh, thematic element because Bruce Wayne finds redemption uh, by, you know, being around Superman and having that encounter with Superman and seeing his, you know, sacrificial death that he chose to make in order to save everybody else. And so Bruce Wayne is a changed man at the end of uh, BBS getting redemption. So I think it's, it's to me, it's tough to wrap my mind around why would this terrible, awful, uh, wicked villain be talking about redemption? What kind of, what does redemption mean to him versus the, you know, the good kind of redemption that you would normally, or I would normally think of when it comes to Bruce Wayne. So I think it's interesting that, you know, this, uh, this evil villain who, um, to me, a dark side sort of represents the antithesis of Superman because Superman in the DCEU is, in my opinion, a representation of free will and making the free choices uh, that you uh, need to in life. And so dark side is looking for the anti-life equation. He's looking for the way to control people so that they don't have free will. And so for dark side to be talking about redemption, I think is uh, very interesting to me. <laughs> maybe he's talking about himself. like Ah, maybe, yes. <laughs> like his redemption you're doing this for me later you know possibly yeah after being embarrassed by earth um <laughs> but yeah so um you know he's talking about how comfort is great prize and, and we you know we talked about um just that his presence has put so much fear into steppenwolf and, and the parademons even before dark side uh, is visualized in this uh slab of uh, nuclear metal that uh, you know all the parademons they kneel they sense his presence Steppenwolf who's been killing Amazons and Atlanteans and fighting the Justice League with no fear in his body then with the appearance of Darkseid his nephew then he's just like oh I you know he 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 steps back in fear almost like like Darkseid is gonna just materialize and and strike him uh remotely so it's uh the way he he steps back in fear and and like he it's almost like his 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 legs turn to jello he's kind of like oh i you know i i lose my balance and i, I don't know what to do i'm i'm not prepared for this meeting and then to, to kneel and submit himself to the to the will of dark side um it just it you know we've had two hours now being 131 minutes two hours of this steppenwolf showcase of just how ruthless he is and and strong and and big apparently you know with the imax you had to be like wow steppenwolf is huge and then <laughs> and then dark side shows up and you know with the with the use of the you know, the camera angles going downward on steppenwolf and dark side uh looking up it it, it just it just scales him down it, it just boils him down to just like this tiny insignificant uh henchman to dark side and then all of a sudden the the reality the the perspective has changed and now you're like oh he's you know and then and that just adds to it. it just adds to like you know everyone sympathizes everyone cares about the steppenwolf versus the 2017 version and it's because moments like this where you know you you've turned this villain who's not a a major justice league villain uh like dark side and lex luther is like you've you've turned steppenwolf into a three-dimensional character that's dynamic in in his his origin and his motivation and that people actually care about him and now now with dc people know who steppenwolf is because they they care about him in this regard 
Whereas in 2017, uh, when that movie came out, people just people were confused. Like, who is this guy? What is, and, you know, after seeing the movie, they're still confused. Like, who, why, who, who picked this? <laughs> who is this guy? <laughs> so, um, you also have to imagine that um, Steppenwolf has probably had no contact with Darkseid for so long 50,000 worlds right they just had a like that he's conquered so far for so long he hasn't had any contact and probably barely contact with uh uh desaad you know yeah just Um, because desaad doesn't want to talk to him yeah and because he's exiled like (laughs) like, he has no he has no reason to call home he hasn't found anything he's you know you're kicked out kid like get out you know uh yeah. the only the only thing that piped up their attention is because hey i found the holy grail oh yeah you're right percival thanks what do you have to say now great cool thanks for finding it now it's mine mm-hmm. um so like the whole staggering uh of steppenwolf i think is really awesome um also the bowing and the armor going down further very much reminded me of some sort of like knighthood thing mm-hmm. like, i mean like i pretty sure knights weren't wearing their armor when they were getting knighted they were in robes right um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but they did get swords that's where they did get the sword and stuff so it was like robes and sword anyway um i imagine that was like very much so space knight like that's what you do and then when mm-hmm. you when you kneel, your armor is obviously going to know that you're like, oh, this is when you're supposed to be at your most vulnerable vulnerable because your king is speaking to you. Um, if he wants to chop off your head, he can very well do so. You got no armor. That's just what that's that's what's happening. That's what's going down. So yeah, um, very much uh, very Arthurian in this moment here, and it is it really is just an awesome element. Um, for a storytelling for a story that is telling this uh holy grail search kind of thing Um, i think i i really do think moments like this are needed um if you remember back in excalibur the the part with percival and he is finding uh the grail and everything Mm -hmm. he wasn't sending messages to arthur or anything like that he was just on his own doing his thing having crazy visions and awesome dreams and then surprise surprise there's a there's a cool cup you know and it's like oh now i gotta now this is the thing and then gets it and takes it back and everything like that so um yeah i think the conversation here between uh king and subject um again it's really important because that is something that is very hard to do Richard III is like the best example for that because the king can't talk to his subjects because he has to what disguise himself and everything like that, right? So it is really cool that when you have those conversations of having the person that is in power speaking to the people that uh, you know either worship or uh, or follow or or do anything for that, and um, you really kind of get down to like the bare bones of what the characters wants and needs are and how they relate to each other um and this one it is just blatant um like uh 
king and subject king uh what is what ty- tyrannical king and lowly subject kind of thing um yeah, i think this the is loyal, just, the yeah, loyal knight it yeah. really is just like screaming the loyalty of this um uh, b- b- For dark uh j- journey yeah 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 i, 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 I i'll have to be honest i've never thought about this scene in terms of the context of the Ex- excalibur king arthur connections even though that is very present throughout mm-hmm. all of the Snyderverse and Zack Snyder has definitely intended that because he's he's posted about it himself um, and so uh, hearing you guys talk about this is really uh, making me take a look at this in a different way because Steppenwolf calls Darkseid my lord mm-hmm. and that's something that you know when I watch medieval shows if I watch Merlin from the BBC or something like yeah. that somebody somebody is going to call the king you know my lord uh, especially one of the knights. Um, so I, th- I think that's a really cool way to look at it. So I, I appreciate this conversation because I, ha- I hadn't thought about that before. See, yeah, yeah. always finding something new, right? It's <laughs> always, especially in a in, yeah in this four hour movie. There's there's so much to to talk about. We we talked about it last week because uh, I think last week was when Steppenwolf discovered uh, the life equation that that's on Earth, and th- we we talked about. Steppenwolf being that Percival because he wasn't looking for it. And so then it, the mother box, it, it presented it to him and said, you know, it's here. And that's what happens with Percival is Percival's not actively um, looking at, looking for it like all the other right. knights for King Arthur are looking for it, and King Arthur himself is looking for it. Darkseid is looking for it. And, um, you know, the Holy Grail and the anti-life equation, they are, uh, unobtainable objects for yeah. those who go searching for it, and Legend. so and so. Seven Wolf is somehow deemed worthy to dis- to for it to for it to present itself to him, just like Percival. Uh, it was shown to Holy Grail, and because Seven Wolf and Percival, their Holy Grail, they they want it for someone else yeah you know it is not for their own personal gain and that selfishness is uh selflessness that is the key to why it presents itself to them so those who go searching for it can't find it and so that is why steppenwolf uh obtains it and so now dark side is like has to get involved because he's like oh you found it all right yeah, that was one of my favorite lines in this whole minute. Uh, Dark says, uh, "Dark side says, can it be true that you have found it?" And I thought, "Wow, he really cut him down." <laughs> I thought in that one line because uh, speaking of like you know kings and knights, I would imagine that a knight would have a lot of respect for the king and would uh, you know serve the king because maybe he maybe he had to. I don't know, but maybe a, a knight serve the king because he felt a loyalty out of respect for the king but this king this dark king does not care about his his knights in my opinion because it it just seemed like he was either surprised uh that steppenwolf that steppenwolf of all people would have found it he did not think steppenwolf uh, he did not think highly of steppenwolf in any way that he would have thought steppenwolf would have been the one to yeah. find it um so i i thought that was uh, in term especially in the terms of the the king and the knight um uh, relationship there i think that's uh it's 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 really sad i you know i always feel <laughs> bad for steppenwolf because he's doing all this hard work for for dark side and dark side just clearly to me does not respect him at all yeah and and um i think steppenwolf knows it and, and he's still at the end of the day he just has the utmost loyalty for for dark side and and Desaad is what really 
is the wedge between them. Like Desaad is kind of like another Lex Luthor where he's just constantly feeding Darkseid all these, you know, oh, that Steppenwolf is like insignificant. He's worthless. He's <laughs> always a, a fool or, you know, nothing good ever comes about him. And so, and, and Steppenwolf was, you know, tiptoeing with, with Desaad the whole movie. But then once he finds the anti-life equation, then he's like, all right, sh- shut up, Desaad. Like for once I'm, I'm right here and, and I found it. And so, once he Desaad is the other one who's just like all of a sudden like, ah, oh, this guy found it. All right, one <laughs> second, I gotta let him know. So it, it it was a major win for Steppenwolf. It's almost like a um like you cheer for him. It's like oh yes, like go you. You did something right. You deserve this. And and both Darkseid and Desaad are just like you. It should not have been you, but he deserved it. So um. But anyways, uh, we have more to talk about this week, so I think this is a good point to, to wrap up for today. So uh, unless anyone else has anything else for this minute? No, I think I'm good on this. Yeah, I just uh, I just really appreciate uh, the visuals of Darkseid. He, everything is fire. Fire is th- a throwback to Apocalypse. <laughs> yeah. It can you know visually symbolize how Apocalypse is this oppressive and totalitarian society. It's associated with villainy. It's a contrast to... That you know the Christ figure of Superman because it's so say you know with hell or or something like that. So I think the the visual of Darkseid coming in and being so uh, oppressive immediately, uh, I think, is a really good choice because that's that's the way that Darkseid rules. He is he's an oppressive figure, and I think the way that the uh, visual effects team was able to capture the the Kirby crackle from the comics of Darkseid. I just I think is such a nice touch. So his first appearance here is such a is such a worthy one for Darkseid because he's such a monumental figure in DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Couldn't have been said any better. That was a perfect way to end today's episode. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that one. <laughs> All right. We're going to wrap up for today. If you've enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving a five-star review. It really does help the show and helps new listeners discover our show as well. If you'd like to join the conversation, you can chat with us on Twitter at DCEU Minutes. And if you'd like to hear more bonus content, We also have a Patreon for just $3 with tons of other podcasts to listen to. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the next one here on DC Cinematic Minute.